Okay, we're going to get started here, and uh, if folks are going to show up, I will take questions live. Otherwise, people have sent me some nice questions. Uh, something we're just going to try out here on Saturday. Uh, this is uh, Colin Shots. I'm Seth Partnow from The Athletic, uh, Stats Bomb, and you may know my book, The Midrange Theory. Um, so I'll start with one thing I just wanted to talk about. It It, it came out this morning, and I'm going to paraphrase, but... Uh, Short version is is there's some quotes that's, that are floating around from Kevin Knox's dad, uh, you know, wondering why his son didn't play more and and you know after he got traded from the Knicks to the Hawks and I think people are having some fun with him and 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 kind of almost dunking on him a little bit and I just wanted to to bounce off of that a little bit because um, that Kevin Knox and the, the Kevin Knoxes of the world are in a very weird spot. This is this is you know imagine being the five hundredth best thing at something millions of people do, and that being just good enough that everyone knows you're not the best at it. That's a very weird spot to be. And then you could you combine that with you know how steeply the kind of rewards for being better escalate. Um, like like okay, Kevin Knox is good enough to get you know four years of a rookie contract. That's you know tens of millions of dollars so it's it's not not bad but like the difference between being that and a guy who gets a big second contract even a medium size like a mid-level second contract that's you know that's the difference between being the 500th best and the 300th best and that's a very very small difference in talent and ability and and frankly luck in in where you ended up um so I have a lot of sympathy for 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 uh, Kevin Knox Senior here. I mean, his his son has been the best at that for everyone around him um, for for most of his life, and he's not that far away from the guys who are quote unquote making it in the NBA. Um, this is also just sort of a, a an excuse to to plug. Um, I think one of my favorite pieces of sports writing ever, which is the the book in general and one passage in particular. Um, it's a book called Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby, who is probably better known as the author of High Fidelity, although at this point that movie is old enough that uh, who knows uh, if, if if it's culturally relevant anymore. Anyway, uh, Nick Hornby is, a, is, is British, so he's writing about being a, a lifelong fan of Arsenal, uh, kind of a storied London-based soccer club. And um, it's, I, I recommend the book highly. Just It's a uh, sort of a rumination on a life, lifetime of fandom. Um, the context will probably be a little weird. Uh, first of all, like, soccer is a different thing than, um, you know, basketball. Secondly, like, top-level English soccer in the 80s and early 90s is much different. It's much different than, than soccer is now and just a very kind of different sporting culture. But I, I think it's a really good book. And my favorite passage in the book, which I excerpted a fair amount um, in in my book, uh, was what he was talking about a player named Gus Caesar, who was um, a bad defender for Arsenal in, in kind of the early, early 90s. And just ruminating on the experience of having been good enough at every level to be a bad top flight professional and and just like a like what a what a mind job that must be um, um, being you know you're you're you, you play on a youth team and you're the best player by miles you know if it's it's a 
a, a youth player is scoring like 60 points a game or something like that in a basketball context. And then you, you get to junior high and you, you are, you're a seventh grader, but you're, you're playing varsity already. And then you're, you know, the best player in your high school team and college coaches are coming to see you when you're a sophomore and you're playing big time AAU and you're getting shoes thrown at you and, and all this good stuff. And you get recruited to go play at Kentucky. And then you get to Kentucky and you're good enough to be a lottery pick. And then you get to the NBA and it just all stops suddenly because you're just like you reach that bar. It's almost a Peter Principle thing. You reach that bar and it's just done. It's just over. It's you're, you're just not good enough anymore. Um, and and I have I have a great deal of sympathy for that. I mean, I you know, when I was working for the Bucks, you, I saw people who were making, you know, six, eight, ten, twelve million dollars a year who were miserable because they weren't they either weren't playing much or weren't playing well and it's easy to think well they're making so much money but you know you it's a it's a very time intensive and passion intensive job and if it's not going well and if that's what you've your value has been as a person your entire life i i just it, it has to be I mean, you know, there's, there's, people have talked about the sort of the mental health crisis in, in, in sports, and it's pretty easy to see where that comes from. Like, you've been, you've been defined by this. In some ways, like, uh, teams almost play into this because they do so much to take away, you know, on one level they take away distractions to help, help players perform, but sometimes distractions might be good if, if the performance isn't going well. Maybe being able to focus on something else might be helpful. But so you're you're just kind of stripped away, and all you are is a basketball player, and it's not going well. And it's hard for me to to say that. Well, I'm making twelve million dollars a year, so getting my ass kicked in practice every day and sitting on the bench and everyone calling me a bum for having a bad contract, yeah, it's a pretty good life. Like on some level, yes, but the experience of it on a day to day might be might be pretty rough. Um, anyway, I just wanted to, to start with that since that's something that uh, that that came up. Um, as just kind of as I was looking around for what to talk about this morning, um, in terms of questions, I got one from this is this bounces off something that uh, Matt Moore and I talked about yesterday. Um, recording this on Saturday, Matt and I talked uh, in episode four of, of kind of the the, the main pod uh, yesterday uh, about the Mavs defense from uh, Oded Raz, who's who's uh, I'll paraphrase it. He, he DM'd me on Twitter and asked, uh, "Can you make any sense of the improved Mavs defense?" Um, it's kind of the same personnel, and it's just kind of been better um so the short version is you you have to be very careful about you know saying a team has improved defensively over a short time span um you know the 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 first thing you look at to see if it's it's maybe that's not real is you look at uh, opponent three-point percentage and i'll probably go into this on a later show where I can kind of prep a little more and revise and extend about why opponent jump shooting and specifically three-point shooting uh, is often sort of the canary in the coal mine in unsustainable performance. Um, but that's the first thing you look at because it's not really something that defenses have a ton of control over, at least in terms of the magnitude of swings we can see uh, within a season. Um you know the and and the Mavs all year have kind of have have had done decently in terms of opponents not making above the break three. I think on the season, 
according to Cleaning Glass, non-carbage time, opponents are shooting about 33% above the break. Uh, league average is a couple points higher. Um, you know, that's, that's like, maybe you're doing something to affect that, but... But uh, every re- bit of research I've, I've found has suggested that the kind of the variance of that across a full season is, is like four or five times the size of kind of the, the defensive skill difference. So it's it is while it's possible that there's something um, uh, skill based or scheme based or personnel based that, that that's do it. Dallas is doing that kind of based on their personnel. You kind of have to. Uh, your strong prior has to be that it's it's more variance based, and then you look specifically. Just I arbitrarily looked at from the beginning of December when kind of oh Dallas has been better defensively, um, and opponents are shooting like thirty two three above the break and thirty three some thirty three one I think from the corners, and that's the kind of thing where over a small sample you see that kind of outlier low. Um, opponent shooting percentage and you kind of look cross-eyed at uh opponent at at you know claims that they are they have they are playing better d like they they, they probably are there's probably some stuff that's going on but the magnitude that they're playing better is vastly overstated oh, i don't know vastly substantially overstated by um their their actual performance um, or, or, or it, the, the, the defensive rating, I guess, that's coming out of that is is probably overstating the defensive process that's led to that. I mean, you can look at the talent that Dallas has, and you do kind of wonder, like, where is kind of an, an elite defense coming from? Like, Luka's probably progressed to when he cares to being, like, merely kind of below average rather than terrible. Um you know, Dorian Finney-Smith is okay. They've got decent bigs, um, but this isn't. This is not like I don't think there's a single all defense level player there. So um, you you do have to start from there, and 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 uh, I don't think the NBA is is an environment where without the individual talent you can scheme your way to a reliably top defense anymore. So. I don't want to like rain on parades and say it's all going to end soon. And, you know, regression to the mean doesn't mean, oh, they've shot 33%. They're going to shoot 37% the rest of the year. It means that they're likely to, you know, go back to shooting 35%. And, and if, you know, opponents shoot 35%, that's a, from three, that's a much more average looking defense. So um, in a short term, I'm not really willing to say there's been kind of structural improvements beyond what is is short-term variance in the absence of you know substantial personnel changes now you could argue that 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 uh christoph Porzingis and maxi kleba being healthier than they were last year is a personnel change and that's that's true so far as it goes so i mean to the extent that their interior defense might be a little better um that's that's certainly plausible but their their better defense hasn't really been driven by uh rim protection it's been driven a little bit more by jump shooting so yeah that's i will i will um i will stick with saying that 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 i need to see more before i i kind of declare uh declare victory for for the the uh dallas defense um let me see some so some other questions i got um let me see 
Uh, so here's a good question I got on Twitter from Dom Flame. Thank you for this question. Uh, uh, he, he is basically the question is: Is there any correlation between certain coaches and or players consistently over multiple seasons being consistently good in clutch situations? I've always thought it's somewhat random, but wasn't sure. Um, so, first of all, there's a there's kind of a, a definitional aspect here, like what is clutch? Um, it's a a small enough sample across an NBA season that um, how you define clutch, like the NBA's uh, rather expansive definition is um, five minutes or less uh, in the fourth quarter overtime and game within five points. Um, that's, that's certainly a pretty expansive definition, but even in that, like teams don't really play more than a couple hundred possessions a year in in those conditions so it's a pretty small sample and then if you start to get into like really clutch situations like the the other like the other uh end of of possible um definitions is sort of uh shot clock off uh ball in hands to tie or win um and that's a situation where actually there aren't really players that have consistently over large samples or even to the extent we have large samples that that you know there are there there really does not appear to be players who consistently perform quote unquote better in those situations for you know all the clutch hagiography um if you look at players who take you know i've the most common way i've looked at it is is a field goal attempt to tie or take the lead with under 30 seconds in the game uh league wide average over the past 20 some years is 31ish percent and uh, basically as you see players uh, add attempts their um, percentage is tends to tends to be drawn pretty close to that 31 percent mark uh, there are players who are kind of over and above that but again you get to the people who've taken the most shots in that in, in that situation and that's you know you start to get into like Kobe Bryant and LeBron and and uh, Russell Westbrook are some of the players and they tend to as players get up around, you know, 75, 100, 150 attempts in the situation, like, so among the group of players who's good enough to get those shots, they tend to cluster pretty closely around, you know, that, that 31%, that or low 30s mark. Um, there are players with uh, higher, high, lower attempts who've, who've, who've been higher, uh, like, I, uh, like from memory, Tim Duncan, for example. Um, I think that the players who have really high percentages also tend to have relatively no low number of attempts they tend to kind of be big guys so you kind of think that these are guys who aren't getting the okay shot clock is off go get us a bucket kind of kind of shots there you know offensive rebounds or dump offs or just a kind of a different character of shot than the go win us the game uh type of attempts we we, we more usually see um, and there are uh, there are some other players like uh, for guys with uh, sort of a medium number of attempts. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Car- Carmelo Anthony, or two that that have have come to mind in the past. So there's some speculation that maybe guys who take a lot of like pull up mid rangers, uh, maybe a little perform a little closer to normal in kind of those those uh, double clutch situations um, than than others because that's that's closer to the shot that they take normally. I think that's plausible. I also think it's plausible that. Um, you know, if if for a you know a relatively small number of coin flips, some people are going to be you know well above average, and some people are going to be well below average. So I think it's a it's plausible that there's a mechanism there, but it's equally plausible that it's sort of um, random 
lower um, lower attempt volume um, uh, our effect that we're seeing there. Um, I see a couple folks who are who are listening along. Please don't hesitate to uh, raise your hand, jump in. Uh, again, I'm going off just just questions I've gotten uh, in 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 comments and, and questions um, while we're talking. But uh, it works even better if we get get live questions and someone besides me talking. But uh, uh, if you guys don't, I will uh, keep going with some of the ones I got. Um, another question I got, and I'm sorry I, I've lost the message, so I can't say who this is from, but it's a, it's a question of what are some things that people might be surprised of in terms of their uh, impact in a model, whether it's, it's you know, machine learning or, or what have you. Um, I think that the, maybe the biggest one that is still – so there's two answers. This. One is like – of of kind of more standard inputs, um, steels are always one that shows up as a as kind of a big indicator of goodness, and um, um, I think that's been sort of written extensively about what that means. Um, it's it's not the steel itself necessarily; it's kind of what it represents about the player. Whether you're talking about NBA value or kind of predicting uh, NBA success from college stats, is guys who get steals. Uh, that's an indication, though imperfect, of sort of a combination of feel and um, athleticism, like being able to to see the play develop early enough and then have the athleticism necessary. And it's a sliding scale. Obviously, the the more explosive, explosive quicker you are physically, you don't have to be quite as uh, explosive mentally. Um, but then, you know, there, there, you know, Larry Bird was a high steals guy, and and though I think he's he's his athleticism has always been underrated, he's not exactly even in his day he was not a uh, uh, an above average uh, NBA athlete. But but his his ability to to move faster by moving earlier by thinking faster allowed him to be in position to kind of make those basketball plays like. Uh, just being uh, anticipating where the ball is going to be and getting your hands on it, like kind of, kind of shows uh, an understanding of the game. So that's sort of of the box score inputs. That's a big one. Um, the uh, the age in terms of specifically looking at draft models, age is is I don't think it's it's totally understood just why age is important. And I think it's it's there's really two things going on. One, it's um, if you're precocious if you're doing things early um that's that's a good sign for being able to pick things up quickly uh second of all it means it's less likely uh that you're just sort of um uh especially in in kind of a like a college setting if you're a very good college player as a 17 year old freshman um that's probably less uh about you know just being an earlier physical developer than, than your competition. Cause you know, you're playing against, uh, you know, 20, uh, everything up to 22 and 23 year olds. So, um, there are players who kind of get through AAU in high school just by being, um, you know, more developed physically than their opponents. And then as people, you know, as people age, you know, in a more standard way, they kind of catch up and without skill developments, um, you know, the, the, the player almost gets left behind now. I think um, uh, sort of one of the, the, the players most indicative of this in his NBA career is, I think, Stanley Johnson, who, you know, I, I, I can't claim to have followed him closely through, you know, his prep days. 
but he was, you know, about the size he is now early in his high school career. So he uh, was, uh, you know, that's the, the phrase man amongst boys comes to, to, yeah, like you plop that guy in a high school game and it's kind of over. But if you, if like that's if that's what you rely on and the skill level doesn't improve and then you get into an environment where kind of maybe everyone isn't isn't doesn't have those physical gifts, doesn't have that size and strength, but close and that you're no longer just dominant based on that and you haven't developed the skills, you kind of you kind of, uh, uh, you know, run into some problems. Uh, but so but but players who get to college and as freshmen are. Are dominant. Yeah, maybe there there's some early physical development there, but they're also beating up on guys older than them, and there's probably some early learning going on. Um, I have kind of wondered if there's there's sort of a a a break point in that, whereas like merely pretty good, but not elite performance at that young age. I'm wondering if whether that continues to be the same kind of indicator. Um, simply because I, now that everyone knows that being young is good in the draft and also getting to the NBA early is good for financial reasons, like maybe the, 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 the correlations have changed. But this is, that's something that, that's hard to tease out because the sample sizes of college players coming in are pretty small, especially when you break it down by age. So that's something I more wonder about than, than know about. Uh, Tyson, you're, uh, you, uh, you had a question, so uh, please uh, unmute, unmute yourself and fire away. Okay, I think I got it. Hey, I got a quick thing about the – I was watching the game this week, and I'm a Warriors fan, so obviously last night was cathartic. But, like, also as a Warriors fan, I kind of recognize what happens when you're forced to play McKinney this many minutes. And are the Bulls just kind of in the situation like, oh, crap, this is when um, – this is what everyone said about DeMar's defensive issues. You know, you're missing guys, and it takes just, like, one or two people missing, and the whole thing kind of falls apart. You know, think what happened with the Nets also this week. Yeah, I know. I think that I think that was the certainly one of the worries of the Bulls coming into the season was depth. Um, you know, you you uh, you know uh, the expectations for Patrick Williams were I, I don't know what they were, but certainly losing him early in the season wasn't helpful for their depth. Um, but we knew they had five pretty good players, right? We knew that that it, like even if uh, I don't think I don't think we uh, I certainly didn't anticipate like playing those five together the four guards and and Vucevic together would be as good as it as it has been this season but we knew that was that was pretty good and then you get past that and what do you got um, you know uh, I would assume Mu has been has been uh, better than expected as a second round rookie but he's still a second round rookie and and those players especially at a playoff level, tend to be bad. So he he can get you some spot minutes. Like Kobe Wade has made some shots, but you know, uh, is he a high level rotation player? And then you get past that, and now yeah, we're talking about like you know guys who've bounced around. We're talking about you know Javante Green and Alfonso McKinney and Alize Johnson and and you know yeah. maybe some of those guys can give you something. But yeah. There's there is there is a breaking point where you have too many of those guys in your rotation and it and it kind of falls apart a little bit. Um, I think that I also think that the Bulls have uh, um, have missed Caruso a lot just because I think so much of their defensive identity was being able to have Ball and Caruso guard the two best guys and 
the difference between one of those guys doing it and and maybe DeRozan or or uh, Levine having to do it is is you know I think we saw that a little bit in the Nets game where you know Harden hit some tough shots but also uh, Demar didn't really contest some of them especially well. Mm. Is that if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, like Warriors got shellacked by the Bucks, so you know I'm not going to run too hard, but. It was just interesting to see this week. <laughs> well, it, no, I mean, the, the, I think the Warriors are a little bit in in the same situation. I actually got a question. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a good time to talk about it. Maybe you have your thoughts on it. Yeah. As a Warriors fan, is like what to make make of Steph's slump because it's it's not just threes. It's you know he's he hasn't finished well either. Um, I think I, I frankly just think he's tired. That's a big one. Like, I, yeah, I think, I mean, he's old. Yeah, he, he's older and he's tired. He's being asked to do this. The whole like, oh, Steph runs five miles a game or whatever that people says. Yeah, that sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah, because it's not just it's not just running. It's like it's 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 cutting and planting and like you know in uh, I think it was the game where he he I mean it's, it's it's a shot that's kind of commonplace for him, but it was a shot. I think the three after the one in which he broke the record was he like came off a, a mm. pin down in the right corner and he's sprinting up towards half court and like stops on his dime and turns over his right shoulder and shoots a you know a a 26 footer on the move over two guys and it's like that's a that's an incredibly effortful like that shot itself is like it's a, it, right. you know, you're going against your body a mile away and just like doing that a bunch of times a game that's those are hard miles um and i think it's almost that, that he was so good early in the year that other guys who can make plays with the ball have kind of been uh, especially late in games, have been a lot. Well, Steph will figure it out. We'll get the ball over to Stephen Draymond, yeah. and Steph will work out. And I think that's. I think he hasn't been able to to maintain that over a full season. He's not the first player to you know to to kind of run into this this sort of thing. I think it's it's something that's that's happened to Dame late in seasons at times. Um, it's it's yeah. you know it, it's happened to, to James Harden in the playoffs when he's when he's had to be the kind of the the uh, offensive center. I mean, kind of the guy. It doesn't seem like it happens to is 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 the KD. Uh, but like being even said, KD, I because I went to uh, like I mean I went to that game five. That was the most amazing thing I ever saw. Was like the forty eight minutes and stuff. But yeah. I, and obviously you got tired of that. But just watching you know the game six, you're like ah oh, he he's just he can't carry a one legged Harden and the rest of his team anymore. But but almost. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, but, and that's also, like, being seven feet helps, you know, yeah. and, and the difference between being, like, because he can get, he can take, both both players are going to take hard shots, but I think uh, KD's hard shots are probably less effortful than, oh, yeah. than, Steph's, than Steph's hard shots. So, from, so uh, taking your thing of, like, a Bucks guy's going back to that series, uh, was Jeff Green really just like barbecue chicken? Like, and all I remember is him hitting those like six threes in that one game. But then, uh, like, Nate Duncan was saying, like, his defense was just destroying the Nets against the Bucks and stuff. I, I didn't, I, I didn't think so. I thought that, um, like, what's what are the other options? Is, oh yeah, is I part mean, of it definitely like a tough. Like, you were in the. They were playing that much Jeff Green because they didn't have anything else they could do. Yeah, like I, you know, you would hope that. Uh, I mean, he and he was and he was banged up a little bit in the postseason. Like you would have yeah. hoped that that Nick Claxton would have been able to do something, but I think Giannis is a is a pretty. Oh yeah, um, like the 
you know, the, the tall string beans are kind of the guys that, 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 that Giannis sees as Giannis sees as lunch meat. Um, he actually, guys who are maybe a little bit, you know, kind of the, the stout six, eight guy has always seemed like he's given, especially like once Giannis has, has kind of really weaponized kind of his, his, uh, his Euro step through the chest move. Um, like the, the, who the stout... Giannis the best you think? Um, well, in the past, uh, I think he's aged out of it now, but yeah. like, both of them have aged out of it. I always thought that Thad Young and James Johnson huh. did, did a nice yeah. job. Um, I, I think, I, you know, there, there, um, there's been games where, where, where both, uh, Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid have, I think that that's, you know, we're talking about hard minutes on guys. Yeah. I think that's asking a lot of those guys to do that. I, but I, I think that that's something that like, if Philly, like, you know, makes a Simmons trade or whatever, and the talent is equal. Um, that's something that Philly can go to in spots that 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 could be effective. That's a a, a club that a lot of the other teams don't have in the bag. Um, right. uh, you know the 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 about seven different guys in the Raptors. I mean, it was they had. I mean, <laughs> no, they. I mean, they had. You know, they they could throw a Bach at him and Marc Gasol and and Kawhi and, right. and they just had a and Siakam and it was sort of. A number of guys who could who could you know take a hit and and still stay in the way once or twice, and so it wasn't having to be the same guy like you know you know to use a boxing analogy taking shots over and over again. Yeah, it's like one person just getting beat repeatedly by Jan. I mean that's yeah. guys demoralizing yeah. physically and mentally. Yeah, and, and like and I think I and I, was, I I think that with with Giannis it's much more it's like if you're getting to the point where he's getting to you know make kind of chest-to-chest contact with a defender on the move inside the paint, like something bad has already happened. The teams yeah. that have had success have kind of, if he's trying to do like a, if he's trying to Euro step at the top of the key, you're probably in, a, in in good shape. But if he's getting deeper than that, if he's getting like, you know, the head of steam, he's always like his, his best offensive attacks have always sort of reminded me of like a, uh, like a hockey winger, like, you know, coming yeah. through the neutral neutral zone with speed. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, if this guy's just kind of stick handling stationary, we can maybe do something with it. But if he's coming at me with speed, oh crap. Um and, and so that's that I think that's it's much more kind of keeping the whole thing solid than, than having necessarily one guy who can, you know, get in front of him. But I do think I do think it's it's the guys who are who are a little stouter physically, who have traditionally who have at least over the last four or five years, had more success with him than sort of the the lengthy string beans. Because, like, you know, some guys' length bothers, mm. but for a guy who's not really looking to shoot so much as he's looking to dunk or lay the ball in, like, he kind of negates that length a little bit. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm so interested to see how they do in the postseason because I think, yeah, another Nets-Buck series would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, I I do wonder on the other side, like... You know, you talked about uh, uh, you know the 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 Bulls or, or Warriors not having quite enough guys. Like, if the Bucks don't have Brook Lopez, yeah, like I'm not like that's a that's a big loss. Both so what do they do now? I guess because like, yeah. I've watched a few Bucks games. So the whole idea is very like you know Giannis can get to the perimeter, but you still got like um, Brook Lopez hanging back. Yeah, and so now if you get past Giannis, what's there? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, but Bobby, Bobby Bobby Portis has been has been that's better defensively than than I, than he has been at certainly 
from the playoffs last year till now, he's been better defensively than he really has at any point in his career. So that's that that sort of picks up some of the slack. Um, but like, you know, th- in a way, they're probably lucky that that Philly is a guy or three short because mm-hmm. the the Embiid matchup would be scary. Um, and the Embiid matchup is still is still scary. It's just like the 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 Bucks probably have too much everywhere else on the court. For yeah, that, to, that sort of matter. Like you know, uh, um, the I, I don't actually think that the the Suns had much for Nikola Jokic in that series last year. It just didn't matter because it was such a blowout everywhere else on the floor. Oh that, yeah, that just like like you know, Austin that, Rivers and Nikola Jokic versus the Suns. You know, yeah, but now no, if your starting backcourt is like uh, like Facundo Campazzo and and you know it's a pretty big mismatch like Facu Campazzo and and Austin Rivers against Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like he, okay, <laughs> like I think DeAndre Ayton is closer to Nikola Jokic than, than yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, well no, thanks yeah. for the question. You yeah, any, any, anything else? Like anything else? I can. Uh, well, what games you're are you watching right this now? weekend? I mean, I, I always love your work, so always oh, like you listen. Yeah. No thanks. It's uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, in these trying times, while one's kids are at uh, various activities, <laughs> one has to sit in the car and wait. So why not? Uh, why not chat with some people? Yeah. Uh, trying, trying to think. I mean, yeah, I've just been on this whole like, yeah, big diehard Warriors fan, just going through all this stuff. Been been the rough week, but like, it's one of the better things where you know. In the dynasty already, well, let, so it's all found money at some level. <laughs> let, so let me ask you something. I think I think I, I've been frustrated by this. Um, yeah. The Warriors are trying to win a title this year. Like their window is like they, they can no, tell they trade everyone. If, okay, if so you're, you're you're with me on this. That like I've been I've been I've been annoyed at the can't trade Wiseman, can't trade Kaminga. Although Kaminga is like Kaminga's well, thing is like Kaminga's probably the, the chip now. I don't know if you really want Wiseman unless you know. Like, well, I mean Wiseman. The thing is, Wiseman's the salary. More than yeah, anything. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wiseman's salary. He's the number two pick and all yeah, that. Like, I mean, like, Wiseman's probably, okay, maybe we can make something out of this guy, plus we need the salary, whereas you're actually you're actually doing the trade to get Kaminga. Right. Is, is sort of, if we're talking about, like, a, you know, the two names that have, I guess, have been bandied about the most in that kind of deal have been Miles Turner and, and Jeremy Grant. I Like, which would, I, I would, if I, were I them, my preference would be Turner, but I, but I think a yeah. lot of Warriors fans are, are are maybe more into Grant because he seems like he he sort of fits what they do better, and I can see that. But we have, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, our, 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 I feel like our wings are. I mean, they're not like world beaters. Though. I know sometimes Iguodala looks like he's ten years younger or anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Turner would fill in more holes that we have. Obviously, he can play next to Draymond, which is nice because he's just got some uh, shooting on him. Uh, the one I, I kicked around with some friends, which I you know I. There, there's a way I think to make the salary match works, but it, it really is a going different direction. Trying to use Kaminga to uh, pry uh, Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's happening. I know, but how cool would it be? <laughs> <laughs> that would, I, I mean, you know, okay, like if if the Warriors somehow like add Van like Vliet, all the picks or something like that. Yeah, know? like yeah, that's okay. Well, now we have like yeah, like a Drew you know, Holiday situation. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, also it's it's all uh, like um, this is sort of. Um, one of those things that I always got a little frustrated at was was the notion that like the Raptors got lucky to beat us. Uh, that was my last year with the Bucks. Was when mm-hmm. when the Raptors um, 
Uh, they got lucky to beat us because Fred Van Vliet, like, like, it's like Fred Van Vliet is, you know, He's for the time. That, yeah, well, f- there's that, but also for the time that we have tracking data on shots, he is one of like the seven or eight best open three point shooters in like the last eight years of the NBA. Wow. Like it's it's him, the Warriors guys, uh, Seth Curry, like Corver, Duncan Robinson, Michael Porter Jr., and like that's the list. Of like the, the uh, and and like Jose Jose Calderon, like that's the <laughs> list of like the the guy like the uh, like the top uncontested three point shooters, and he got uncontested three point shots against us. And yeah, he's not going to make sixty percent of them every time, but if you leave that guy open, like you you are uh, leaving yourself open to get get like very. I still points. remember that run with the uh, you know with Wichita when they were go- when they went deep in the tournament. And that's funny because he wasn't really a shooter. Yeah, he, he didn't he didn't become a, like he didn't he didn't basically learn how to shoot till he till he got to the nine oh five and and now he's you know one of the elite shooters. Um, no, but I was just saying like that's like that's like like Splash Brothers and cousin is sort yeah. of what that would become. Um, I don't know, maybe like just if we're if we're making stuff up like Jordan Poole and Kaminga and something something something. Does that does does Masai hang up the phone? I don't know. Probably, probably because I mean it does seem like the Raptors of art are basically kind of doing a war what the Warriors tried to do last year or you know or two years ago, where they had their bad season and maybe they're going to turn as opposed to like keep doing bad seasons. I don't know if they you know they're going to bounce back at that, but it seems like they're winning more games. Yeah, there. I mean, I think there there there's some wing. They're, they're a wing or two short, maybe, and maybe uh, I think they probably need another creator. Um, yeah, maybe they got maybe, like Barnes and uh, FEV and. I guess Mikhail Flynn isn't really doing much. Yeah, the, so the, yeah, the, like I think Van Vliet and Lowry was a good pairing because even though Van Vliet has been better as a shot creator this year, I don't really think that's his strength because mm-hmm. he's you know not large for for nothing. He's 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 small and not like super explosively quick and doesn't get to the rim very well. So that's that makes that a little bit tough. But they're I mean they're certainly like frisky and have defensive potential. But I think that they're probably like that type of player short but they don't get they don't get closer to that type of player by trading van fleet away i don't oh think. yeah, so yeah. That's, that's like yeah. a it's a it's a yeah. very definite choice by both teams if that thing sort of happened that's yeah. clearly a homer warriors like oh what if we had another good player uh yeah. for the trade though why, yeah. why do you think no one's trading for turner because it seems like it's been like two years where everyone keeps talking about it uh it seems like it seems like he's a player that teams talk themselves out of huh um and i you know I can understand that a little bit because you you know you worry about the, the the rebounding and he's never really like especially your team like the Warriors you're trading for in Draymond's words you're trading for 16 game players yeah and you just you just you just don't know if that's if that's him uh, and if you're you know but the Warriors I think maybe maybe a little less so now that they've kind of fallen off a little but you think like you know you're okay if you're going to be all in now you don't necessarily need a 35 minute a game playoff guy if you can get a high level 25 minute playoff guy to who fills a position of kind of need and addresses certain specific matchups like that's a, like you know taking your title chances from from i don't know from i'll just make up numbers here from 10 to 15% yeah like that's a pretty that's a pretty enormous swing 
I you know, know, it's at, just so hard to get uh, Kerr not to start the, not to start Looney. You know, it's a real big I don't, you know, I don't have I don't have a problem with Looney to be honest. I love I Looney, Looney, but it's just like a funny how. Uh, how yeah, much it, the, the problem him. is the problem is is like you know you play the Suns, like Looney's the only guy you got for Aiden. You yeah. you end up. You know, you end up against the Jazz if they kind of figure the playoff thing out, and Looney's the only guy to keep uh, Gobert off the board. You end up the the Lakers figure it out. Looney's the only like, you know, Looney can Looney's a good defender. Looney is overmatched against like those top players, against the Jokic, against an Embiid, against goodness knows Giannis. Oh, they so, it like two fouls in the first minute. From yeah, Giannis on Looney, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I. What do you think the Jazz are gonna? Uh, do like do you have like uh, your dream all in scenario? Not that they have that much more to go all in. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. like. Someone was. This is something that uh, Mo Dekeel, uh my podcast partner on Nerder, was was kicking around, uh, and I, I don't know if he's talked about this publicly or not. Is like, uh, you know, when do you when do you start thinking about trading Mitchell, and what do you think about? Um, just there's there's sort of that scuttlebutt that Mitchell might not be long for Utah and maybe get out ahead of that. But that's that's so interesting. Yeah, I don't know if they have the the stuff around that. Like you know, um, Ingles has fallen off a lot this year. He in the past would have been a guy who I th- who I would have who as much as I like the way he fits with that team, like sort of him and Bogdanovich are sort of emblematic of their playoff shortcomings. So, but I don't know if I don't know what he gets you. So, yeah, yeah, it's a they, they gotta get some other some this like some wing defender or something yeah. to sub one because like watching yeah. that team without Rudy is tough. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up here in a little bit. But thanks thanks for jumping on and chatting yeah, with you for, for a little bit. Uh, yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna try to do this uh, similar time next Saturday. So uh, come on back. All right, man. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining, and, and uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow when I uh, chat with uh, Caitlin Cooper about uh, maybe even Miles Turner. So thanks for listening, and uh, talk to you then. See ya.